0: You're listening to DraftKings Network. That's not just the sound of that first sip
1: of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient, comfortable. Ah.
0: You're 100% right, and thank you for letting me still be mad. I knew I should (laughs) still be mad at something. I just don't know what. (laughs) And I guess, yeah, the NHLPA. Welcome back to Too Many Men. I'm your dollar store host, Sarah Sivian of The Athletic, with my colleague, Shayna Goldman. Shayna, how are you on this beautiful Thursday
1: morning? I'm okay. How are you? I never get asked <laughs> this. I'm like, shit, what do I say? How do, How does one answer a question like this?
0: I know. I need to start whipping out my transatlantic accent when Allison's gone um, to give this a true radio feel here, boys. I don't know why I said that. Allison is currently in the mountains detoxing from having to deal with us all the time so we she's sending us beautiful photos maybe we'll put one somewhere on twitter.com but the Stanley Cup finals are among us folks and the Avalanche beat the Tampa Bay Lightning in overtime, 4-3 last night. And I love that we got overtime in game one. I mean, we are not getting skimped out of anything, these Stanley Cup finals, I guess. And it did deliver, and we'll get into that. But first, we have some bits of news, if you will, to go over. So first of all, Jessica Campbell, who we shouted out on the pod two pods ago, was it? Um, yes. As somebody that could potentially make a jump to an NHL coaching job. Um, the New York Rangers hired her for their development camp. Um, I think she's a great skater and I think that she, there's no one better to kind of teach the boys about skating. <laughs> Shayna, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it's a cool opportunity instead of going with someone that maybe was already in the organization or someone who's done this a thousand times, like bringing someone fresh with like a a new perspective and see what they can do, especially because, like, I mean, not for nothing, the Rangers haven't had, like, the best luck with all of their prospects. And development camp, obviously, is one small thing. But, like, just overall, I feel like it's just a a positive sign. It's something a little more innovative. And we've seen them work with, like, Amanda Kessel before and, like, dip their toe into women's hockey things. So this, for in my opinion, is a big step. And I feel like for her, it's a big step because women have to prove themselves at every single solitary level to – to even be considered, and she has coaching experience under her belt. She has playing experience, so now here's work with an NHL franchise that I think is another one of those, like, stepping stones that should help her mount a massive resume to compete with the hockey men with, you know, two long NHL tenures where they do absolutely nothing during them.
0: Yeah, yeah, 100%, and it is... Another stepping stone, as you say, and it's great to see women in these big markets and original six teams. I feel like that holds some weight, too, that um, there's a lot of women getting hired in these original six and Vancouver, which is an original six, but still kind of counts to me. I, I like the direction we're headed and... We don't have to put them on the shit list this time. So I am always happy about that. Um, Other news, Bruce Cassidy was unemployed for less than one week. He got hired by the Vegas Golden Knights. Shana, what do we think about this as a head coach? Obviously, Shana, what do you think about this move?
1: How how do we get that reputation that if we get fired from our jobs, we'll have a new job (laughs) within five seconds? (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs)
0: Rangoon's killing me. is in the background stalking the prey of me and Shayna currently.
1: (laughs) But, um, no, I I mean, we talked about Cassidy a bit and the situation. So it is nice to see that the awkward breakup with Don Sweeney did not cost him any job opportunities because, like, they waited after telling him he's fine. And, I mean, it's not like Vegas has many prospects or young players to worry about. So... It should be fine, too. Like, you know, if that was the concern and, you know, there's merit to that concern. It's not like Vegas is a young developing team. So that's positive.
0: Yeah, it makes me wonder if, I mean, obviously tampering is an issue, so they're never going to admit to anything like this. But maybe Vegas was talking to Bruce Cassidy and everybody mutually decided to go their separate ways in a little bit. It doesn't seem like it based on what Cassidy said, though, right? He was said yeah. this was a shock to him. But, I mean, I guess kudos to the Golden Knights for immediately being like, "Not, nah, we want you right now ASAP immediately if that's the case. So I, I, maybe Jesse Granger of The Athletic, who is a great golden knights writer will let us into the behind the scenes of how this happened i think it's fascinating how quickly it happened um kind of goes to show what we were all saying like why would you fire him there's not really that many better people other than i guess torts and um barry trotz kind of waiting
1: in the wings there maybe
0: maybe trotz goes to boston what are we who are we thinking goes to boston
1: i literally don't know who you're gonna find that's like not saying cassidy's the end all be all but like i don't see boston going out of the box like their team that probably if if Bergeron stays and, you know, one smack of always healthy, like it does feel like they're gonna be like, let's give this another kick at the can. Like, you'll teams tend to want an experienced coach in those situations. They're not gonna be like, Let's go find someone new. So I'm really curious. Um, like I would expect Detroit to have like a little bit different of a hire. You look at like John Cooper in Tampa, that was an Iserman hire. So Boston, I really don't know what they what direction they're gonna go. But, like, the one thing that is funny to me is, like, you you mentioned, like, how it went down with Cassidy and, like, it seemed like such a shock. You're going to the team that's made such a reputation for themselves in such a short time for fucking over people like it's nothing like, oh, yeah, you're going to be here for life. Actually, we're done with you like (laughs) you're 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 a fundamental part of our team. Actually, go fuck yourself. We're done here, too. Maybe they said they're changing
0: their ways now and Cassidy's hopping on board. I think it's interesting that Cassidy and Eichel are going to be together, not in Boston.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's what he needs so everyone can get off his back and stop saying he's the problem.
0: Maybe that's what they both need. The little switcheroo. Like nobody can blame either of them or they're all blaming each other.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. And then like the Watch of the Golden Knights will thrive this year because they don't have 3,000 injuries. And I'll be like, see, look, this all worked out. It was the right decision. It's like, it's not, I'm not saying it can't be the right decision, but it's like uh, they were extenuating circumstances for their demise last year. Who knows, though? Maybe all of a sudden no one will be backstabbers. We'll have no more swords through goalies, nothing like that, because oh DeBoer's gone. Like, maybe the vibes are different. And, like, he's intriguing because it sounds like Dallas might look at him and I'm like, okay, the team that needs offense is going to look at Peter DeBoer. Like, okay. I don't get it.
0: Well, Shana, there's only roughly six to seven men we can look at for these positions. So they got to fit somewhere, <laughs> even if it makes no sense at all. Yeah, but right. something that does make sense, um, the Flyers offered John Tortorella the job. We've been talking about this for a while and we want to wait for full analysis for our Tortorella correspondent, <laughs> Alison Lucan. So we will wait for her, her full takes, but what are your quick reactions to this?
1: Yeah, when, he, when we, that tweet, went out from Kevin Weeks um, and like shout out to Weeks for another scoop. Seriously. Allison immediately texted me like, can we do torts analysis on this when I'm back? Like, yes, yes, Allison, we will do torts analysis on this. We can't without her. But I I love the fact that he's coming in to clean up an Elaine Vigneault mess again, because when he took over in Vancouver, if I remember correctly from Vigneault and the irony was Vigneault took over for torts in New York. It was like getting players to work harder in practices and like, Torts is old school in that, like, you have to give your all during practice, which I don't think is asking for much. Meanwhile, he's the coach that doesn't believe in morning skates. So, you know, it's like there's two sides of it. But it was like when Vigneault left New York as well, that was something that was said, like, he didn't make them bust their ass as much in practice and do those kinds of things. And like those work habits that, you know, Torts is going to try to instill. And it feels like the Flyers need that.
0: I'll, I'll wait for Allison for my Taylor Swift references, but I do feel like <laughs> Torts is in his reputation era. I feel like he has a chance to kind of switch the mentality around him and and we'll see. It's something we've talked about pretty often, so we'll see. But like what you said with Kevin Weeks, he is seriously scooping everyone. And I wonder why he's not on the intermission broadcasts and things like that i i would love to have seen him on these things i don't know i don't think they're doing a bad job i love brian boucher i just would like to see kevin weeks on this maybe he didn't want to because he's too busy scooping i guess we'll (laughs) never know
1: (laughs) yeah like so steve levy and barry melrose were talking about it like they have a desk and we're talking about how big it was like everything that they have going on now and I think it's really cool for them because for years it's been them and Linda Cohn trying to bring hockey to ESPN so like great on them for getting this opportunity now like headlining it that's that's awesome but it just feels like we know ESPN has so many more commentators I wish we're in the fold more like you said Kevin Weeks for the intermissions or I liked Rick DiPietro and Ryan Callahan and you know AJ Malesco doing color commentary would be great I yeah I'm so surprised they stuck with the you know, two-man crew calling games with Ray Farrar and Sean McDonald instead of adding in a play-by-play guy. And it's like, Brian Boucher is right there doing yeah. analysis in <laughs> the intermissions. Yeah. Just throw him in the booth. <laughs> like, it would help to have a color commentator from the booth. Like, this is the Stan- Stanley Cup final. Load up. And instead, it's like the same. I just wish they kind of took more notes from the Eastern Conference final and were like, how can we make this better? Like, how can we... Up our game. This is our first Stanley Cup final in a century. Like, let's do it. Totally agree. Um, Moving on to the U18 women's worlds.
0: Unfortunately, our women could not pull off their seventh world championship in their past eight years. And Canada staved them off 3-2 for the gold medal. What are your quick thoughts on this?
1: Uh, I thought the game at first, I'm like, damn, this game is done. And then the second, USA scored two really quick goals. It was a great game. You know, really, really, really quality play from the two of them from The two teams, the commentary I appreciated. Time we talked about that, like actually highlighting the women for who they are, what they can do. Um, there were a lot of standout performances, like Cindy, uh, Sydney Morrow, and we're gonna see so much more from these players and like Layla Edwards. So, I hope that you know more people start watching this and enjoy like Women's Worlds coming up in August and just keep supporting women's hockey because there's you know this is a huge pipeline and like teams like sweden and finland had great performances and we have to think about like how far sweden has come since they cut funding and you know at the olympics they impressed me and now here it is their pipeline you know putting on an impressive show as well even though they didn't walk away with the medal you know finland won bronze but you know there's a lot to take away from it so we just have to keep supporting it because you know these are the future of future women of the game
0: yeah i'm just kind of puzzled about what happened i know the prelims aren't that important but i know that the u.s shut out Canada 7-0 so i think i don't know it was a great game i guess i was
1: maybe they got too cocky yeah maybe and like you know it, it you know it's nice though like as much as we see those lopsided results earlier on it like when it when push comes to shove and like the medal games like I like that it was an exciting game as much yeah. as I my bias is like give me a Team USA five nothing win like <laughs> I, I like to be like entertained and on the edge of my seat and you know everyone might look at it and be like of course it was USA Canada in the final but like maybe we should cancel every other team and just do it as a two team tournament right that's how it goes in women's hockey now
0: yeah because we it's not allowed for anybody else because <laughs> everybody who watched one half of one period gets to weigh in. <laughs>
1: Uh, Love it. Love it so much. It's great. Great work, everyone.
0: (laughs) It was exciting, though. So if you haven't got on board with these tournaments yet, you got to start watching them. And in our final bit of news, we're we're almost there to talk about (laughs) game one, folks. Uh, Joe Smith reported that, Joe Smith is the Tampa Bay writer at The Athletic. Gary Bettman announced record revenues this season for NHL, said in next two to three years, we'll see the normal increases in salary cap each year. Um, I was furious and I let that get the best of me, I think. I quote tweeted this just saying like, what do you mean normal increases in salary cap? It should be more if it's record revenue, right? Like, please. Sometimes I just get so embarrassed with this sport that I love because the cap ceiling is so low and it's all these guys are, there's so many teams fighting the cap right now. And it's, it could be so much more fun if, it was just a little bit more like basketball. I know we don't have that kind of money right now, but I do where if we get some more money, we should use that for good and to make the sport more entertaining. But I did get a text from one of my favorite insiders explaining the situation to me. Um, he said, the reason the cap is still more or less frozen despite rising revenues is because the players agreed to that at the start of the pandemic when they negotiated the cba extended as a measure to get paid in full in 2019 2020 and 2021 despite shortened seasons and revenues that would have otherwise suggested in the shared hrr system that they make like 50 percent of their salaries instead In return, the cap was more or less frozen until the players could pay back the millions they owed for making more than they should have in those two pandemic years. They hope to have it paid all back by 2025 or so, at which point the cap will be freed up and can start going up more measurably than based on the revenues. But until then, this is about the payers paying the massive debt that was created when they didn't take a pay cut in 2020. Okay, I will admit when I'm wrong. So I deleted my tweets and I think... (laughs) I just, we need more transparency, right? If that had been explained, and it's not Joe's fault. I feel bad for dragging poor Joe (laughs) Smith into this. I should text him and apologize for going off on him, on his quote tweet. But I feel like this stuff is so intentionally vague and intentionally confusing, right?
1: No, it is. And like the other problem with it is too, like the players agreed to this and they should have better representation helping them not agree to things that aren't great. Like that's... Like, you know, everyone was so happy with um, the new CBA and it was like, oh, look, it got done. And it's like you walk away from that and it's like, what do the players get out of this legitimately? And like you look at things like, you know, there has to be some sort of system in place to balance revenues. So you get that split, you know, based on if every team's close to the cap or every team's the ceiling versus the floor. And that's why like escrow is in place. But like it sucks the way it's done. It sucks the way revenues projected and how... That's what everything goes off of. Like, there's so many flaws within the system. So there's still a point to be mad about how things are done because the players should have been in a better position than they are, but they didn't get there. And I think that there's a ton of problems with the Players Association. Like, forget about everything else that we could possibly think of for them, but just financially alone, you know, there's a lot of flaws there. Um, Not shy to say, like, I'm not a fan of, like, the leadership that's there. For those reasons alone, before we touch... Anything else. And we could go on for literally days about everything. I mean, look at the Black Hawk situation. I mean, that was a complete and total failure by them. But, like, it's just, it's so interesting to me, like, how the financials are working out when you look at everything that FAIR did with MLB, with, with Major League Baseball before this. Like, literally, I've been reading a book about it, because I'm, I'm a nerd and this is what I do in my spare time. I read books about <laughs> You're bringing sports. your knowledge to the pod. Yeah. <laughs> and, um... But no, like it, it's it's all like breaking down like when they were like MOB lockouts and you know things with like the luxury tax system being put in place and everything that he did then. And I'm just like, where is that energy for hockey? because I feel like yeah. it just, hasn't been there. And I think that he was flawed with baseball, but I just feel like with hockey, the players should be in a much better position than they are. And it starts with their leadership. You know, maybe if they were better informed of different things they could do, they wouldn't be agreeing to CBAs that we like when it's signed, we're like, what did you get out of this?
0: You're 100% right. And thank you for letting me still be mad. I knew I should (laughs) still be mad at something. I just don't know what. And I guess, yeah, the NHLPA and you're so right about the Kyle Beach situation and so many other ways things have been handled and just the way there should be more protection with injuries and things like that. And there just isn't. And I, I feel like they get in the way of themselves so much and it's just kind of an insidious part of hockey culture
1: yeah so, and like I'm still we, mad <laughs> we, yeah we should we should be mad this is something I feel like that needs to be talked about and like we're getting like little bits of information like they're gonna look at a succession plan for fair anyway in the near future like that's a good thing but I feel like it comes down to the players being informed you know as much as I could fault them for going along with things like are they informed enough to know I don't want to like make it seem like they're idiots and like I don't know if it just came off that way but like I don't expect a a regular NHL player to understand every in and out of the financials of the entire league as a whole. They have enough shit to worry about. So I just hope that there are systems in place to keep players informed of everything outside of the NHLPA as well so they can get like a fresh take on it because it does feel like more players could use refreshers on the financials and understand the situation a little bit better. So maybe they know exactly what they're looking for in the next CBA, if that makes sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah absolutely all right shayna avs <laughs> avalanche versus lightning game one 90 seconds into ot andre burakovsky won it 4-3 describe game one in one word it was fun in this economy
1: <laughs> who knew The quali- <laughs> like this is a matchup i feel like last year any of us would have been thrilled to have right like yes. the last two years like oh give us two of the best teams and like Some of the narratives aren't even that bad. And I think it's because the teams are actually legitimately good. Like, I just want to see quality hockey. Like, there's, I think, benefits to both teams winning this. But I want to see, like, quality hockey for a a long stretch of play. I was hoping round two would be a little bit more exciting in the West. And, like, the sweep was fun and I loved every moment of it. Don't get me wrong. But, like, I wanted that series to go along and, like, deliver on the McMatchup a little bit more. I loved seeing Colorado's dominance. So it's, like, you know, either way. But I want to see this series be, like, a tough fight and exciting hockey and i feel like we got that
0: that's so true and these things kind of always expose the holes in other teams along the way like my editor texted me this morning and said wow the canes are not nearly this good even with Freddy." and it's so true they would not have stood a chance in this yeah. matchup uh and i love that it's actually delivering and i love the one thing about Tampa Bay, obviously, um, they're down 3-1. They tie it up 3-3. It, it, I think there's, there's such wisdom in all the runs that they've had before and knowing when to take your foot off the gas and when to put it on. And overtime's a crapshoot. But they got to overtime with that mentality, being able to just say, OK, F it, we're going to go for it now and do it. I, I, they are the one team that has that ability. And the Avalanche are that one team that has the ability to stave that off, right?
1: Yeah. With no, the depth. 100%. Like, you look at when the score was three to one. Colorado came out as the better team. They had more jump in their step. And, like, we talked a lot about rest versus rust. And that's, once again, another narrative, but whatever, it clicks, like, Colorado's been off for a while. How would they be? We just saw with Tampa Bay, like they were off for a while and how were they after it? But like Colorado's been here before. They've had two sweeps now. So I feel like it was a little bit different. Plus you have the altitude to consider as well. Like Tampa only plays there once a year. So as rested as you can be, it might be a kick in the ass to play at that like altitude. But when Colorado took a 3-1 lead, you saw Tampa Bay pick up their game immediately and like score effects tell us that's going to happen when a team's trailing they're going to pick up their offense and try to even the score and when a team is in the lead oftentimes they back off a little bit into a defensive shell and against St. Louis we saw Colorado do that in game 5 they had what was it a 3 nothing lead and they blew it and it went back and forth a little bit but ultimately the blues extended the series Against the Oilers, something that was super noticeable, I think, was when Colorado had the lead, they were like, fuck it, we're playing to our strengths and we're just going to keep overpowering you. It does not matter the score of the situation. We're just going to keep coming on in waves. And that obviously worked for them. So... I don't think their intention was to step back a little bit. And it's interesting because Tampa Bay is a team that when they have a lead can legitimately shut things down without it burning them. Like any other team that goes to try that, like, I don't know, the Rangers try that, you know, let's be more defensive and not take risks. And it burns them because they're only playing defense. Tampa is a team that can shut it down. And, like, if you take your foot off the gas a little bit and you're only playing defense, you're forcing your opponent to only play offense, not have to defend, dig their way out of situation, and then come forward with offense. So I think that's a good reason why, like, they were able to tie the game. Like, Tampa Bay picked it up at the right time. And once they even the score, you saw Colorado pick it up again. Like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Like, we're not done here. Like, this game's not over yet.
0: There's that. There's, do we as a society speak nearly enough about Nikita Kucherov? No. He he was fantastic last night.
1: I feel like the whole postseason we're just seeing these like standout plays that end up on the score sheet. It's him and Pilate. It's two of the original triplets. That pass was gorgeous. And then there's Vasilevsky who,
0: if he plays, he almost won it for them, I feel. It's like they have just such a complete team, but I feel like the Avalanche have kind of more, I don't want to say they're more competitive, but they just like have that kind of, I don't know. What do you think it is that stands out about the Avalanche?
1: It's a, they're just like an overwhelming team in front of the crease, I think, that they're managing to get by with like average or below average goaltending in the playoffs. And that's like Darcy Kemper was so good in the regular season, but since the Nashville series, he's had one quality start against St. Louis. That was it. Like, and his starts before he left the game with Edmonton, like, was not good. And last night again, he, it was a below average game for him. And, like, Vasilevsky had a pretty rough first period. I don't know why he doesn't... We talk about Mike Smith in Game 1s, rightfully so, but, like, Vasilevsky in Game 1s, they're not his best friend. Look at Toronto, that series, how it started out, and look at the Rangers. Like, it really wasn't great. Florida was the one series that it was like, no, no, we're on it the entire time. But, like, after that first period, he was outstanding. Like, he really pulled it together to keep his team in it. And Darcy Kemper... Could have let that one slip away, I think. Absolutely. And then
0: Point was back. He returned. I think he's just gonna keep getting better. What were your impressions of Braden Point's return?
1: Yeah, like I wouldn't expect him to be the superstar in four seconds after returning from injury. And it helps that Tampa doesn't need him to be. They like he can play he's on he's on, you know, in the middle six. They have two other lines they can rely on, but like I mean it's gonna it's gonna take him time. It's just I cannot get over how similar him and Brandon Hagel look with like, their facial hair.
0: <laughs> yes, I, yes. It's
1: so hard to tell them apart. Yes. Twins.
0: Twinning. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never say that again. <laughs> okay. And finally, you blogged about this. Are there any points we missed here? We covered it all.
1: Um, Two things. So we talk a lot about Sorelli, rightfully so. Like last year was Philip Deneau going through the shutdown matchups and now it was Sorelli. And it was interesting. Colorado wasn't like, we're going to keep McKinnon away from him. They were like, we're just going to keep rolling our lines. And against St. Louis, like it seemed like they were trying to shield him from Ryan O'Reilly a bit. And then once McKinnon started beating O'Reilly in the matchup, the Avalanche were like, we're just going to outpower you. And it felt like the same thing. And like it was a really rough night for the Hagel, Kalorin, Sorelli line that was outstanding against the Rangers when they got put together and really shut down Zibanejad. If I remember it, I think think they had less than five percent of the expected goal share in their minutes that line and they played a lot against McKinnon and it's like that is going to be a problem because that's the matchup they're going to rely on when Tampa has home ice as well like if they can't shut down that top line and it's not just McKinnon it's Landis and it's Nachushkin like that's a problem and the other thing was Burakovsky like he was so bad he was a healthy scratch earlier in this postseason. And when Kadri got hurt, he got the bump in the lineup and he was really good. That whole line, uh, Ranson and Com- uh, Jesse Comfer's brother and <laughs> Berkowski, they were, they were excellent last night. Like that was the one 2 punch Colorado needed. Absolutely. And OK, to
0: your point about Vasilevsky in game ones, I didn't realize how I don't know if I subscribe to narratives like this, but at the same time, he is one three in game ones, this playoffs and in game ones it's 3.99 goals against average and 0.884 save percentage and in games 2 through 7 he's 11-3 1.90 goals against average nine three nine save percentage so that is a palpable difference and now it's like they didn't even they didn't reach their final form in game 1 including him so it does concern me for the avalanche that the avalanche seemed to be playing at their best and tampa bay didn't really and tampa bay almost squeaked it out but i still say abs and seven do you want
1: to amend your
0: guesses at all your predictions
1: i forget did i have six or seven i forget whatever it is i'm gonna yeah i'll stick to it but i do think like colorado was the better five on five team by like a mile yesterday and That's all well and good, but, like, you're going to have to pick it up a little bit to beat Vasilevsky, who we saw in the second and third period, like, kick his game up a notch. So now you get non-game one Andrei Vasilevsky. Like, do you have it? I I think they have it in them. It's just finding ways to beat him. Like, he allowed his first five-hole goal last night in the whole playoffs. We've been talking a lot about, like, beating him high blocker, and I'm sure that's an area that they're going to target. But it's just challenging him as much as possible. If you're going to beat a goalie like that, you have to, like— you could either try to lull him to sleep and then and keep him bored and then hopefully the one shot trickles through. But I think a goalie like that, you just have to keep the pressure on. What's your prediction for game two?
0: Um, good
1: question. I,
0: I don't know. <laughs> I, think, I think Tampa Bay is going to come back and win it. I think they're going to win one. Here.
1: I think so. I think it's going to be a close game, but it just feels like, I feel like that puts more, who do you think there's more pressure on? This is what I was like thinking about yesterday. Like, You have the team that wants to go for three straight, which in a salary cap era is like unheard of. The team that wants to be a dynasty. There's a ton of pressure on them to do it this year, especially when everyone wants to shit talk their last two championships, which whatever, but like they're the team to beat. And they don't want to beat themselves, of course. But then you have Colorado. Like, yes, they've gotten past things before, but like you're going against Tampa. Like who has more pressure? Who has more to lose? If Tampa lost tomorrow, we at least could be like, well, you won the last two who thought you'd win three. Like, I don't know. Which team do you think?
0: That's still the opportunity to do something unheard of. And I think a lot of this is about the pressure. These I, I feel like the reason, partially, they've won back-to-back is because they do put so much pressure on themselves and they are able to prepare for games really well. I, I think they... I think Stamkos wants it. He wants to be a bigger part of it. And I mean, who knows when a group like this is going to get back together. Whereas for me, the Avalanche have kind of a few years. I know they've been kind of trying at a kick at the can for a while, but I do think for me, it's good enough for them to make it to the Stanley Cup final. But at the same time, what if this is their one chance and then they lose? I, I think they. there's a lot of pressure everywhere.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I think you're right. Like, Colorado might lose, like, Nachushkin and Kadri this summer to unrestricted free agency, but I feel like Leckoning could step up and become the next nuchushkin if they can't pay him. And, like, I think that they have one of the smartest front offices. Like, Joe Sackick's really good. They have really smart data-driven minds in their front office, and Tampa does too. Like, it's not to say one or the other doesn't. Like, highlight that for a second. These are two teams that do subscribe to data and analytics and numbers, and look at them. But like, I don't know. I feel like I would trust Colorado to keep finding ways to get better versus other front offices in the situation.
0: All right, it is time for our Fuck, Marry, Kill. And you came up with this one. So I think you get to speak on it.
1: Okay, so we'll do the Smythe picks. We'll fuck, Marry, Kill. Who could win the Smythe. Today we'll do Colorado because they won game one. And next time we'll do Tampa. So it's not like we're picking a winner. Yes. We're, yeah, so... <laughs> We'll go with three of the names I think that are most commonly out there. So Kale McCarr, Nathan McKinnon, and Miko Rantanen. You go first. Okay, I'm
0: killing Rantanen because I think if somebody else is to win this trophy it, other than McCarr or McKinnon, which isn't gonna happen, I don't think it would be him. I think it would be a goalie. I'm just gonna say that. I, I don't think it's gonna be this goalie. I think it's gonna be McCarr or McKinnon. And I am marrying... <sighs> McKinnon because I want it to be him because I well if it's somebody I'm not like rooting for anybody but I I do think it's so fun when he's playing at his best and McCarr kind of already is and I'm McKinnon is too but I want to see him kind of explode for a few goals here and do something crazy like his ability to take over a game is amazing like Makar's and I'm gonna fuck McCarr winning this trophy because I do think that would be a lot of fun but I'd like to see both McCarr and McKinnon having fun.
1: I like that. Um, So I'm going to stick with you and kill Rantanen. I mean, I don't think he was good enough in the first two rounds at all. That's why they changed the lines and moved him off McKinnon's line and gave him Landeskog instead. And like, I think he picked it up a lot against Edmonton. And I think he looked great last night, but his whole playoffs I'm not sold on. If I had to pick a third option, it would probably be Taves, Landeskog, or Valnachushkin. I think he would probably like lead the way as my third pick. So kill in. I will fuck McKinnon. I think that he's amazing. Um, and I think that he's a great pick for it. But I also look at his line and I'm like, I see Nachushkin contributing a lot. I see Landis Kog contributing a lot. And I think McKinnon can take games over. And I think he needs to do a little bit more in this series, you know, to keep outpowering Sorelli. And I, I feel like he could easily do that and win the consummate. And I don't think anyone would complain. But I just think, McCar like has taken his game to such a high level in this postseason like from the best defenseman of the regular season to one of the best defensemen in the world and to one of the best players in the league period so for that I give him the edge but like it's the same thing because as much as I'm saying like look at the support McKinnon has he has Taves who I think is one of the best defensemen in the league too so it's like it's really tough but I will go I'll go McCar over McKinnon and I also like the young gun in a way like yeah it's his third season but i like that like when Braden Point, you know was in consummate consideration too like it's the young gun in a sense like leading the way and might be for years to come
0: yeah absolutely it's been outstanding to watch him do what he's done at such a young age i love a college hockey guy too we love new mass so shout out to that i mean i College hockey gets disrespected, and it's kind of rightfully so because a lot of the good guys come from the OHL because it's their life. But I love when a guy gets a little education. So you, <laughs> Kale McCarr.
1: <laughs> no, I'm glad you brought up the college point because I was thinking the same thing. And his rookie year, it was it was Adam Fox, Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr, and John Marino all coming from the college route. And I loved seeing the four defensemen from the NCAA thrive. Like they get so much shit and there's so much bias against them in the draft but like i like you said like i like that they get the education and i like to see like i don't know i like to see like ncaa hockey get more credit too like it's a good pipeline for players and i want to see more go that route as well just to, i'd love to see like if ncaa hockey keeps growing like How does it affect how things shake out in, like, 10 years? Like, will we be still having the same conversations? Or will they get the respect they deserve for putting out players like McCarr and Hughes and Fox? How does it affect the Leafs? Well, well, they probably wouldn't be drafting enough Canadian players then. They'd be looking at Americans, and you can't have too many Americans on Canada's team. Yep, they got a guy
0: from... Tech, oh my God, what did I say, Texas? In my, my brain, Arizona, <laughs> why would I say that? Um, anyway, they got Austin Matthews representing them. Maybe that's been the problem all along, but that's a story for a different day. Folks, thanks for coming <laughs> along with us and bearing with us without Allison, who is on an adventure right now um we are very excited because we're doing a game four watch along on youtube next wednesday we will have more details about that dropping very soon but we hope you will join us for a drink or two and for some lols
1: and (laughs) that will sum it up for today Shayna, you covered it i never have things (laughs) to add at the end oh wait actually i do we have a crop sweatshirt now and you should buy it because like it's nice to have fashion that is fitting for women too. And we're trying to do that. So buy things and men can wear crops too. Go off. Exactly. Like- I'm
0: trying to get one to Joel Edmondson. Eddie, if you're listening to this right now, just send over the Addy and I will get you a crop sweatshirt for mods
1: Yeah, please, please rep too many men. Yes. All right. Be the official too many men sponsor. <laughs> we love you guys. Bye. <laughs>
2: MyPatriotSupply.com